In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that'll draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. Confident in telling you that we are tagged out because I just smoked that deer. Nice shot. It's been really tough hunting, to be honest with you. You're listening to the Scree Country Podcast. Scree Country Podcast. December the 4th, we're here at uh, Deer Camp. We call it Deer, Deer Camp. We're here in Oklahoma, and uh, this is our final hunt of the season at our ranch. I hope you've been following the Blueprint Series on our YouTube channel, and uh, we're wrapping up the season here, most likely our last hunt, and we're in, uh, we just finished up day two, and we've had some success. And we're having a good time. So joining me on the podcast, we're going to record, talk a little bit about our hunt, and uh, kind of share some of that with you and what's been going on with the property and, and whatnot. So joining me on the podcast is Stephen. Stephen, introduce yourself, sir. Hey, guys. Uh, working at Scree and got the opportunity to come out here and hunt the property, uh, learn a little bit about whitetail hunting and what tree stand hunting's all about. Steven, tell the good folks at home, what do you do for a living there at Scree? I am your customer service representative, so if you guys have any problems and issues, there's a good chance I'm the one that you guys talk to. Customer service guy. Also joining us on the podcast, one of our newer Scree ambassadors, Mr. Corey Overtime Anderson. Corey? Introduce myself? I don't know if, if you need to introduce you yourself. Introduce Just say hello to all the good people. <laughs> Hello, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't, if you don't know who Corey is, Corey, uh, I guess just tell us a little bit about your career. I mean, you, you've been in the UFC now, fighting in Bellator. Yeah, Corey, overtime Anderson, uh, professional fighter, former UFC fighter, top five in the world, Bellator title contender. Well, now PFL, I don't know PFL just bought Bellator, so I guess I'm a PFL fighter now. Yeah, I'm just a a fighter. I like punching people and getting paid to do it. And also, 
um, after driving all night to join us and help us film this hunt, the one, the only, Brian Chamberlain. Oh, yeah. Brian Chamberlain, I, uh... Can talk closer to the mic. Talk close to mics, like long walks on the beach and starry nights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I randomly ended up on this podcast, but... Look, Corey likes to punch people, and I don't know if you know this, but Locke, he enjoys being punched. So we should, we need to connect you y'all. a face that see. looks like yeah. Connect y'all. Yeah, did you just say I had a, a face that looks like it likes to be punched? No. no. It's welcoming to a, yeah, a couple right. bloody knuckles. Uh, so me and, me and Josh Jensen are sitting over here on the side couch. You want to say hi, Josh? Yeah, Hello. We're having to share a microphone because my mobile podcasting equipment only has four, and uh, Colin just abandoned us, and he he's also here, but he's gone to the shower, so uh, we're going to let him have that. Um, but it is December the 4th, so basically what's happening right now is, and you guys, you know, we, we've been in the woods really two and a half days because we were able to hunt the first afternoon. Y'all flew in on Saturday, and uh, today was the end of our second full day. Stephen filled his tag yesterday afternoon. Corey filled his tag this morning. And from my best estimation, basically what's going on right now as far as, you know, kind of the stage of the season, our deer are, they're not fully, they're not fully post-rut. They're still interested, but not as active. And so I think what we have going on is kind of a combination of two things. What I notice is, uh, you know, being here a lot and kind of following, we had a tremendous acorn crop. Like, this place had as many acorns as you've ever seen on one piece of property, and they're all gone. Like, over the last three weeks, they've just really dried up. I've seen very few. And everything is, you know, it's December the 4th, so everything is really dried up. The browse, the acorns, the mass crop, all that stuff is really... um, kind of getting low and so i think we have a combination of deer up looking for food and then you also got bucks looking and still trying to find those late does those second estrus does stuff like that so we're actually having a pretty good hunt we're seeing some deer so um i'm gonna let's just start let's just kind of let's just do storytelling first so we'll start steven you can this is your first ever whitetail hunting experience correct First, first ever whitetail, yeah. Did some western hunts out with my buddies uh, down in Nevada and obviously Utah, and you know was excited to come out here because I've done a lot of trash talking on tree stand hunters. Um, that it will cease to exist now that I've done it and experienced it. And um, okay, so I gotta ask then. So, what was what was the basis of your trash talk? And I'd like to introduce you to Brian Chamberlain. He loves uh, trash talk. <laughs> you enjoy it. Um, you know, we used to just say Western hunting is, is a little bit more extreme than climbing a tree, sipping your lattes, watching direct TV, getting your sports yeah. team out there. And when that deer walks in front of you, you just blast it. Oh yeah. So it's a lot of patience and <laughs> it's a lot harder than people give it credit for. It's, it's not easy. And by far you do need to do your, you do need to do your research and, and find out where those deer are coming from and. And um, to be successful and and sit up there. Yeah, it's well. I think I. I mean, you only got three hunts in, and you filled your tag. So uh, you it's know, pretty much. You, it's pretty much what you thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you came and you just you killed it. You yeah. 
Yeah, it, but it's it's much more than that. It's it's you know ha- having a successful area first of all yeah. where the deer are. I mean, mm-hmm. we sat we sat in one place Saturday night and then uh, Sunday morning and nothing, and it was just four hours of staring but, at the trees. Yeah, what what I was gonna wind. say though, I mean, you only got three hunts in, but it's pretty easy. I'm I'm sure for you to to kind of see that you can do a lot and still not get a shot of the deer just because you're elevated and supposedly hidden. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to go right. There's a lot of decisions that you have to make right, especially bow hunting. You know, I mean, you, you, you can be on a really good piece of property and you can put in your time and you can work really hard and, and, and have deer all over you and never get a good shot with a bow and arrow. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot to it other than just, Hey, I'll climb up on a tree and because I'm elevated, I'll just be able to just kill whatever I want. Absolutely. And, you know, that was that was the dilemma as we were sitting, me and Colin were sitting up in that tree. Is He was right in the tree line, and he thought he wanted to go right, which we would have had no shot. We would have watched him walk off. And fortunately enough, he he decided to go left and, and came right under our tree. And unfortunately for him, he was dinner tonight. <laughs> so uh, I, I, would like to, I would like to tell you, I don't think I've told you this, um, but your deer had a name. His name was the Tall G Two Buck, which is very original. I know because I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really good at naming deer. Typically, I, you know, I do have a deer. You know, I mean, typically, a lot of good effort. The big G Two Buck is that what you call the it? Tall G Two Buck? Because are, are he had, we, why did you name him that? Because he had one really tall G Two. <laughs> Now, in fairness, the deer that you and Colin saw this evening on your hunt, his name's Chuck Taylor. Oh, that's good. There you go. Y'all, y'all want to guess why? Y'all, uh, you know what Chuck Taylor is, don't you? All stars, baby. Huh. The first time I saw him on camera, I was like, "That's an all star. I'm killing that deer." Huh. And I ain't killed him yet, but that's why I named him Chuck Taylor. See, that's kind of creative, right? Yeah, I like. You give it. me a little creative credit on I that like one. It. You got it. A little more. Air pound. Oh, oh, oh. Don't worry, guys. I got this. I'm, I'm, I'm here to save the day. So, it's, look, Corey's done knocked our podcast equipment off the table. What you going to do about it? No, no, no. <laughs> it was just an observation, really. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's a little more creative than the tall G2 buck. Yeah. Tall G2 is kind of catchy. It defines the deer very well. It, it yeah. does. It does. Anyway, but I'm glad you got your first. I appreciate it and appreciate all the help you guys uh, were able yeah. to, to give us. So one of the cool things about Stevens deer is, uh, I, I, I said that just to kind of segue into just kind of talking about that deer a little bit. And, you know, like we, we, we got this property this year and we've been doing a YouTube video series and we've done a few podcasts around it. And we're just kind of documenting the whole process. We call it the blueprint, the series, the blueprint, because it's kind of a blueprint of how you acquire a property. You go in in the springtime we're turkey hunting but we're also scouting and then in the summertime brian came up and helped us some during the summer we you know putting in the work to kind of figure it out then we put in food plots late summer and then we start hunting and we just go from a to z of you know and we've been successful we've now um we've had six opportunities we've actually filled four tags and we still got another day to hunt and if i had done my job and my dad had done his job We'd have six tags field, and uh, those two deer were really big. But you guys not being shooters is a family trait, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. There's nothing I can say. <laughs> I was actually kind of running through my mind as I said it. I'm walking myself right into <laughs> right into this. But can I? Uh, can I? 
So I've done some 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 western hunting, um, elk hunting. I've never done mule deer hunting, but I've done a, a good amount of elk hunting, and I can tell you that I agree that western hunting can be harder. Than, I mean, there's there's a lot more as far as like a you know the the physicality of of, of going. I mean, we're hiking 14 miles a day after we took horses in, you know, 13, 15 miles, and you know, staying in a tent and all that kind of stuff. And not to say that some people don't do that in the whitetail world. Well, like for me, like the, the, the whitetail piece of it, like the, the thing that interests me, there's two different things. <clears throat> like, so there's public land hunting, there's, you know, hunting farms and stuff like that where, you know, things are, things are, it's, it's a little bit different, you know, than when you have your own place. But like my favorite thing is like, we've got a place in Mississippi. We've got like, uh, between the, there's two places there, we've got about 5,500 acres, but like just the process from the beginning of you know you're putting in the food plots you're putting in all that stuff and some people say you're putting food there so it makes it easier that they come in but i mean most people in those clubs don't kill a whitetail every year you know i went three years before i killed i killed one last year on that club and uh and i killed one on public land last year and so like there's a lot of different pieces like there are aspects to like the the white belt tail hunting world like that, that, you know, whenever like people in the West, that's what they're concentrating on. And some people, they do it, they do it all. And there's people that whitetail hunt that don't know that, you know, you're going to sit there and stock a, a mule deer, you know, that's sitting bedded in the shade and sit on it all day long and wait for this thing to stand up. And you may or may not get a shot and you've hiked all this to get in. Now you got to get it out of there and you got to hike, pack it all in and out. And I mean, if you don't have horses. And so I think, uh, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for, for all of it, but there's just the process of everything from before the season even starts is cool, like in the whitetail world, just to watch that all take place. And that didn't work. Let's try this or let's you know set stands here, set stands there and trying to figure out those mature bucks and see where they're moving and all that kind of stuff. And so I think, uh, I think I, I love it, but elk hunting is, is one of my favorite things to do. I, I enjoy the work. I enjoy all that. I enjoy coming home empty handed most times. Um, and so, but, uh, but I also love uh, the whitetail, the whitetail world and maybe I'll love turkey hunting. I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I called up Brian's, well, I called up Brian's first turkey and he missed it three times at 15 yeah. yards with a shotgun. <laughs> I did. And then the next day I called up his first turkey and he actually, his second turkey and uh-huh. he actually killed it. Yep. Uh, so we're getting him into that. But, um, I think it's interesting what you said there is is I think like some some of what you were talking about, you know, just the trash talking like the thing about whitetail hunting is there's so many more states and so many more days of opportunity across the country to whitetail hunt that people it's a lot easier to find yourself in that casual easy situation. It's not hard if you have the time, maybe the money as well. You can go on a on a pretty casual, easy whitetail hunt, fill a tag, put some meat in your freezer, maybe even a trophy. And and that's harder out west because you got to do more of the, um, you know, you got to go through a lot of tag lottery type systems to get a hunt. And you're hunting a lot of public ground where, where you don't have the access to control things and prep the way Brian's talking. And, and so... It's just a lot more of a process in that regard just to be able to chase the animal. Like, like I said, what Brian and I, and Corey, you, you own some of your own property, so you know exactly what we're talking about, the process. You know, with, with a lot of the way we hunt, you know, it is a huge process, but there's a lot of the world that, you know, they just go on a whitetail hunt because there's so many of them you can go on, you know, and it, and it, it, it kind of gives it. 
but that's not all of the whitetail world you know like the amount of hours and time that i have spent here on this property and that was kind of what i was kind of starting into a little bit with the blueprint that deer that you killed um he's been on camera for a long time we didn't he's he's one of those deer that's all like we know he's there because we take pictures of him in a lot of places but he's never consistent like i could have i would have never been able to send any of, any of you somewhere and go hey the tall g2 buck is it, probably gonna be there matter of fact Corey, correct me if i'm wrong but didn't you see that on the other side of the property potentially the i thought it was but then, he saw, then we saw the picture of the one that they saw and that's got tall yeah times. i was like i didn't really but, get a good look and i couldn't get on camera so i can't go back to verify but it's but there is a, there is a there's a fair chance it was because that deer's all over the place and so that's the that that's the kind of the thing is that that that's what we call the north seer plot where where you were hunting and that's one of the kind of the primary areas we first identified on this property this is going to be a good area and it's been hit or miss throughout the year because the food plot really didn't come in because it was so dry until really the end of october first part of november we finally got some rain and we seeded three different times just to get what little's coming up in there now but before prior to this hunt we that's one of the few areas on the property i can get a cellular camera to work and over the last week the activity in that plot has picked up so i'm not surprised you killed a deer in that plot but i couldn't have even guessed it was that deer but that's kind of some of the cool part of it is i've been following that deer all over the property you know for since the summertime and uh you know to to see how it all finally transpired like what what was his final demise like where was he at where did somebody finally run into him and that's and that so that's kind of cool and the same thing is kind of happening with the deer that josh and colin saw this afternoon the one that i call chuck taylor the first picture we took of him was literally probably our property is a lot longer than it is wide and this deer was literally probably a mile and a half south of where they saw him this afternoon the first picture but i've had him all the way on the very like within 100 yards of the gravel road on the very northern end and the first time i took his picture he was within three or four hundred yards of the southern border and the property's two or three miles long so he's all over the place I, i've got a i got a question for for y'all like western hunting you know whitetail you know we we watch these deer you know in the beginning of the year they they come out we watch them you know grow in velvet and all that kind of stuff and we kind of you know we name them and we see them year after year if they survive we watch them travel back and forth across you know the properties that we have on different cameras and then sometimes they get killed on the neighbor's property because they're, they're traveling that far they're not just staying oh we're staying within the borders of this property they're probably somebody else probably has them on camera also do you all like to have inventory and stuff like that like as far as like elk and and mule deer i know you guys do scouting you know they're in that area and stuff like that but do you guys do the same thing like specific animals yeah it, it is actually similar maybe not as long a season but elk are tougher to keep track of they, they seem to move a lot more but mule deer are very they stay in areas right and they are they're very curious in nature. They, 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 they stay around a lot more. Right. But but what typically you'll look at for mule deer um, is, you know, we'll start scouting first of summer, mm-hmm. April, May sometimes, and at, at least in Utah we can put up trail cams, right. and so we can kind of keep track of, you know, progression during the summer, right. and then starting August first we have to take all the trail cams down. Gotcha. And so it becomes trickier that way. But right. and depending if you have an archery tag, 
mm-hmm. where our season goes archery goes first mm-hmm. then archery ends and you have muzzleloader mm-hmm. and you have an early rifle then you have a late rifle yeah. So if you have a late rifle and you're watching these deer, most likely he's, yeah, he's either get... killed or he's moved to a different area because yeah, of the pressure. But yeah, yeah, we like to keep track of it. Just cool. same same type of process with yeah. with trail cams and whatnot. Yeah, so. I've always I've always found it interesting watching like people hunt mule deer, both with a bow and I've never hunted mule deer before. I've hunted elk a lot, but and uh, I've, I've you guys and I hear this on, on a lot of the like the forums and stuff. All these out of state people come here wounding all our elk. Well. I apologize, guys, because he's was, one of them. That's me. <laughs> I wounded. I wounded. I wounded a big, a big six by six, uh, and it's a heartbreaker because we spent, you know, five days, you know, of of just working our tails off, you know, up and down and getting on them. They're coming in, doesn't work out, doesn't work out. Then you got to find some more and go. So we do this over and over again. This process, and we're like 15 miles back. We're living out of tents, and um, you know, a lot of times I used to hike in about seven miles with 80 pounds on my back in, in Colorado go back there and uh and um and i i didn't know what i was doing at the time i was trying to figure it out and uh you know busted some bulls and stuff like that but i ended up a cow is the the best thing that i shot on my own and started going with a with a with rusty up there in in utah um and uh and uh you know he helped me he he taught me a lot but it still was you know that's a big animal it's a different animal that you're looking at and when the moment comes i remember that six by six we come to this meadow and this thing's going nuts. There's like four bulls in there. And I, they, he's got a hot cow with him, and they're just screaming their heads off. And I got you know, the hair on the back of my neck standing up, and just like, just massive animals just going nuts, just vibrating the woods. And and it was probably like a two-hour process because we tried calling him, and he wouldn't come across him. That he wasn't leaving that cow. So we said, okay, well he's like stuck on that cow. We're gonna try to spot and stalk him. So we worked our way to get the wind right and all this kind of stuff. We'd move, they'd move. And they move, when they move, they move quickly. They don't, I mean, it doesn't take them much to move a, a good distance. And so stayed on them, stayed on them, stayed on them. I remember, you know, Rusty was out in front of me and he's just giving me hand signals. I'm behind him ducking down and we're trying to get close. He's like, come on, come on, stop. Come on, come on, just give me hand signals. And then all of a sudden he's like, 55, 55, shoot, shoot. And I'm looking and there's just a little tiny lane at 55 yards and his vitals are there. And I pull back and I shoot, and right whenever I let go of that arrow, I saw where it was going. I was like, I'm not going to recover. I hit him in no man's land. And so I, I think he would have he probably survived, you know. Um, obviously, they're tough and stuff, which makes me feel a little bit better. But um, but it still is a heartbreaker after all that work, so many encounters, all that kind of stuff. Then you get the shot and you screw it up. And um, anyways, and so I don't know what my point was or why I went there. I think I just wanted to tell you guys about my elk hunt. but. <laughs> <laughs> Brian hasn't slept in like uh, yeah. 36 hours <laughs> right, or yeah. something. He drove all night to get here. Yep. So moving on to Corey's deer this morning. So here's, uh, first of all, I'm going to let Corey kind of tell his story because Corey started off, we, we kind of sent him in a direction. We're like, look, dude, we got a camera here. There's a bunch of scraping activity in this area and gave him a little bit of kind of intel that we had on this little area. And he started you know kind of deciphering it for himself and ending up moving a little bit further a little bit further till he got in the right spot and but the the one thing i'll say before i turn the story over to you Corey, is one thing that's very different about y'all's deer Corey's deer i also have a lot of pictures of Corey's deer i've only taken his picture on one camera and it was about what 75 80 yards from where you shot him mm-hmm. it you know basically he was on the back side of a food plot between a food plot and a creek and that deer was regular in there. 
and he would I would get his picture in the edge of that food plot and have been since early early September October and um so that's one thing that you know, just shows goes to show you how crazy different but kind of tell us how that went Corey I mean kind of from the start to you figuring it out and finally finally filling your tag I mean kind of goes like what you guys have the land put in the work and you the tree stand hunting like you did the setting in one tree stand so you was in one area like you go to an area you got one stand pick that and I'm a big mobile hunter so I always bring my saddle with me or my tree stand and I was telling him earlier when we was cooking I think that's probably the coolest thing about the deer I got is we showed up here the other day and I had no clue what was here didn't know the area you told me this area was tore up and then you guys kept asking you want to go back like I'm gonna go to the same spot because it was tore up I'm gonna put it together and uh, the first day I dropped out I didn't know anything it was gonna get dark I didn't want to go too far back didn't have access to my Spartan Forge because no service so I jumped in the tree saw it was tore up the next day I came back or I came back here that night e-scouted the area I marked a pin on it downloaded down or the offline maps went back we sat here, he told me one spot, go back here, check this out. I think it's pretty tore up back there. Jumped the barbed wire fence, went in, went a little too far. If I would have went to the exact spot you told me, the duck <laughs> could have been done the first night. The big tall buck or tall rack buck walked right to the tree you told me to go to. And I was too far for it. When I grunted to try to get him to come back, he took off. So I was like, all right, I'm going to come back to this spot again tonight. They asked me, oh, you want to change? I'm like, nope, I left. I already put my stand in another tree. I went in there, I moved around. I walked up the trails and found where they was intersecting. It was going to like a pinch point. It was a barbed wire fence that go all the way through the property. And right at the ledge where it drops off down to the water, there was a hole in the fence. And you can see the trails all intersecting through there. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to move back a little bit and over to, to the right, a little bit to the north or to the, uh, to the east and try to catch that buck and come back again. Well, I went back at night and the doe came. The opposite way, but did exactly like I said. Follow one of those trails to the pinch. I'm thinking, okay, well, that doe, I could have shot her, but she was like 43 yards. I want a closer shot. So I'm going to get closer to the pinch, and I'm going to use this area one last time. I'm hunting tomorrow morning, which is today. If I don't see anything, I'm going to go to another area because I've overhunted it, and I'm not really seeing the sign I want. I got two days left. I get out there this morning. Just like I said, I had four does walk or three does walk in from behind me. They stop to the right, and they stay there, and they feed. And I watch them go, and they go right through that pinch. And like I said this morning, I'm thinking, I don't know if anything will come, but it should. It was coming. That one deer, the other day, the buck moved at 9, 10. Those does came in at 9.05, and I need to get down by 9.30 or 10.30 today. So it was about 10, 10. I did my little closing interview on my camera. I'm like, all right, guys, I think I don't know anything going to happen. I'm about to get ready to go. I got to go do some interviews for fighting, blase, blase. I grab my boat and put it on the, the rope to go down here. And I look, and sure enough, there's a buck running with his nose down right through the pinch, running right at the barbed wire fence. He goes through the pinch, and he slows down, and he keeps walking right up to right where I stopped. I'm trying to pick a stand and hit my ground scent and took off a little bit, and he stopped. But, again, with mobile hunting, you got to have good cover. So I found a spot where it was like four cedar trees that went high and got right to the top of him in my saddle on the tree behind him. And he came right back in, walked slowly, more cautious, further away from where the ground scent was. And I stopped him, but it was only 28 yards and put him down. So, like I said, I think that was the coolest part, the fact, like, just, like I even told you when the guy, it's not a huge book. The rack is outside the ears, and I'm happy with it. But the biggest point for me is to put the pieces together with yeah. the episode I filmed. It's from the first day I said I'm going to go back to East Scout, figure this area out. I'm going to try to find where these bucks are traveling. I found the area. Found the signs, marked on the Spartan Forge, the scrapes, the rub, the trails. Everything was marked, the scat, and just kept moving. Moving trees, being mobile, 
And so I got to a point where they had nowhere else to go but past me to give me the opportunity. And the fact that I sealed the deal, like, yes, I could have waited and went to another spot and probably got a bigger buck. But it was a fact of I put the work in. This would be a good closing for hunts. And I, just like the purpose of mobile hunting, you can go in and set any stands you guys had set. You had places for me to go. Like I said, I'm going to go back. Got a good win today. I'm going to go back. I'm going to move to a different tree. I got a good win. Just got to move over to the left. I move to the right, move back, and just play the game. And show that in the episode, like how if you just stay mobile. Yeah, no, it's that. I mean, that's I've always kind of been the same way, and and I've chose to shoot a number of deer in my life just simply because the the way the hunt played out or the way the situ the situation played out, it it didn't matter to me that it wasn't the biggest deer that I was hunting in that area. It was like I'm not gonna pass this opportunity. You know, like to your point, I did the work and and the work has paid off. I'm going to take the opportunity or, you know, something real. I, I, I shot a deer in Kansas one time and there was some, a couple of really big deer on this farm I was hunting, but, uh, we didn't have a really good week and the deer, were, there was some big deer there and we knew it. Um, but you know, it was kind of hit or miss and the weather had been, you know, so, so, and about three or four days in the hunt. I'm I'm sitting there in a, a a a cedar thicket, and in the middle of that cedar thicket was one pecan tree, like it was like a a beacon right out in the middle of this this cedar thicket. And so there was we, we had a ladder stand in it, but when you got up in it, you could see forever because every one of the cedar trees was like little Christmas trees, you know. And on the far side of the, the 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 place I was in, there was a fence line, and they had you know how they'll go bulldozer width wide on both sides of the fence, mm-hmm. so they had. <clears throat> bulldoze cleaned that fence line and about an hour before dark i see a buck walking down the fence line and he's like 500 yards away and uh it was just it was just quiet enough that it would all work out and i'm looking at him i'm thinking he looks pretty decent you know pretty good deer i, I don't know for sure because he's just so far and i had to literally grunt as loud as i like i mean to the point where the grunt call didn't even sound right i was just like as loud as i could and he, and he kept walking <laughs> He kept walking, he kept walking. The exhausted grunt. Finally, one of those really loud grunts, he just he just walking and he just, like, he heard it. And when he did, I watched that deer come from, like, 500 yards away. Just, I would lose him every now and then, and I'd pick him back up. Lose him every now and then. He was coming through them cedars. And that dude came to eight steps from that far away. And at, when he got to about 100 yards, I realized he's big enough to shoot, but he's not – a huge deer. He was like 127, 28 inch, eight point. But he, I said, I, I told myself when he got to 100 yards, I said, if he comes all the way in here, if I grunted that deer up from that far away, I'm shooting him. Like it's just, I mean, it's just too cool of a situation. So I mean, I, I feel what you're saying. Like you, when you put yourself in a situation, whether it's the work and the scouting you put in, or just the way the hunt unfolds, sometimes you just take the opportunity because that's what hunting's for to get the most of it enjoy it sometimes it's not all of it always about the biggest possible deer you can kill you know and yeah, i think and that's a good deer too yeah, and i mean i'm not a trophy more. hunter by any yeah. means like i tell anybody like i shoot those on my episode people go oh, you're always killing those i'm like two backstraps are better than no backstraps bro i'm not <laughs> talking about like i'm a meat eater i ain't caring about size like i told you i've never scored a deer I just killed the monster 15 point in the end. I was like, oh, it's just going to score. It's going to be huge. Like, I'll never put a tape to it. So I won't know. Yep. I've never scored a deer and never will. It's just not my thing. Did you know that you can eat the horns? 
What use a bone? Yeah, broth? you gotta you know, like boil them down and become like gelatin or something. So when they say uh, candy you, for orange, you, you can tell actually, me what it tastes you like. Can actually, tell, I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word on that. I'm yeah. not gonna try. Yeah. Is I've that my challenge next time? Yeah. Is I, I'm gonna make squirrel ant- antler soup or something? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna be shooting yeah, Phyllis squirrels. And squirrels. Yeah. We ain't shooting Phyllis now. Oh, Phyllis is my got. Phyllis is my. She's the mascot. Snitches get stitches, and she snitched us out tonight. She's getting got. Yeah. Phyllis is our little. Josh could have had his buck. He could have got tagged out, but Phyllis snitched on us. She blew the whistle. So Phyllis is a uh, Phyllis is a doe that hangs out our property. There's an old house site and, and kind of a barnyard where we you know where we park and we just go out from there. And there's this little doe that just lives around the barnyard, and she's really not that scared of us. I mean, she just kind of hangs out. She's always there. And Josh was actually hunting this afternoon on a, a little food plot site. We got this 150 yards or so from the barnyard, it's just right down the hill. And and he saw one of our, our really good deer that we have on camera with a doe, and the doe blew, and now they're blaming it on Phyllis. It's Phyllis. Phyllis snitched. And if you're not around tomorrow, <laughs> neither is Phyllis. You're not seeing Phyllis again. <laughs> Lock, we put it to a vote and you weren't around. And, uh, it was three to one. Three to one. Phyllis is I know Phyllis she's your girl, it. but I'm sorry. She snitched. Good tender Poor meat. Phyllis. Poor Phyllis. Poor Phyllis. I'm going to have to go out there after y'all go to bed tonight and have a call with Phyllis. You got to leave for a couple of days, Phyllis. Don't come back. Don't be a shrine for Phyllis next year on the wall. Back to what you guys were saying, though, about um, you know deer and people scoring them and mm. stuff like that. I think people really just look at the success stories where it kind of separates us and what you do with the blueprint too is you know the normality of hunting the highs the lows of it Uh, we can't say we're successful every time we go out we put in the work and you know and you know the the animals aren't there sometimes you think everything's right now the signs are there and i can tell you this year i went on a hunt with my dad and my dad thought it was elk poop and i was like no that's that's a big buck and something and the poop was so fresh, it was still steaming, and we never saw this buck right. on the side of the hill. No. He did get his yeah. deer, but, yeah, you know. I'll tell you, elk, elk surprise, like, for as big of an animal as they are, like, how hidden they stay in those woods is, is surprise. Like, you're walking through the woods, and all of a sudden you see, like, a just, a, like, a, a little leg go through, like, a little clearing or something. It's, it's like a, you know, a 500-pound animal. And, you know, cow, what do cows use around, what, four or 500 pounds, and bulls are, what, 700 pounds or so? Yeah, yeah, or, or bigger if they're a big bull. But the ones that I shoot are, like, no, <laughs> yeah. no, but uh, the uh, but it just it really like if you think about it, like I know there's a lot of woods and there's a lot of places for them to be, but we also cover a lot of ground. Like, how do those things stay as hidden as they as they well, stay? It's a, how a deer are. does that too, and that's yeah. I mean uh, even a, a whitetail is. I, I was telling well, Josh and I had this experience. Um, was that Sunday morning? Yeah, Sunday morning. We we I was filming Josh and we we saw a doe kind of going up the hill beside us and she kind of disappeared and we couldn't really figure out where she went but she knew we knew she was probably still over there. Well, a few minutes go past and she had made her way up the ridge kind of behind us and to the left and then all of a sudden a doe and her yearling come running i can hear them coming down the hill i told josh that there's a deer running they either smelled us and they're running or they're or something and all of a sudden she comes busting out across the opening and i said josh get ready there's a buck behind her like there's gonna be a buck behind her and uh sure enough i could see him to our left i saw the buck 
kind of come out the, the little ridge top and he stood there for a minute and he did exactly what a deer is supposed to do. And I would have bet you everything I have that he was fixing to follow that doe right across in front of Josh and he was going to get a shot because he stood there a minute looking and then he put his head down, like put his nose down and he started that deliberate walk on the exact same trail that doe ran down. And I'm like, I mean, he's only like 60 yards from us. I'm like, he's fixing the diagonal down, hit this bench on the side of this ridge and cut right across this opening that we were hunting because that's exactly what the doe did. And he had that walk. Well, he walked through the opening that I could see and, and I couldn't see him anymore. And Josh standing there and we're, I'm like, well, where'd he go? You know, uh, I, don't, I don't see him. He hadn't popped out. And then all of a sudden Josh, oh, I see him. He's standing over there. So now Josh can see him, but I can't see him. And he basically came down the ridge part the way. And he stopped, and he stood there for a minute, and then Josh said, he's walking back up the ridge. And he just vanished. I mean, just like, poof, out of thin air. And he's 60 yards from us, you know? And it's like, but I have that happen all the time, where you see a deer moving through the timber or something, and you think you know what it's about to do, and whether it smells you or it just gets a different idea, it'll stop, and you maybe you're having a hard time keeping up with it, and the next thing you know, it's just gone. You could hear it walking the whole way, mm-hmm. and then and then it's gone, just disappears. Like they never do what they supposed to do. They do what they're gonna do. What yeah. they want to yeah. do, and you never know what it is. Or they or they stop permanently. <laughs> like I, I know before. Like I've sat. Like I've had deer come in and then just stop, and I'm like, they're gonna come out. And I'm waiting, waiting. I've been okay. He's gone. You know, Thirty minutes, forty five minutes has gone by. He's gone. Anyways, then go climb down a tree or something like that, and all of a sudden, deer busts out of there. You're like, you were standing uh, it there the is. whole time. Uh, well, I told you Josh that. I so well. Yeah, I, right. I told Josh that that morning. You know, I was like, he might just be standing there, right. honestly, because if he's a mature deer especially, mm-hmm. they'll do that. And I think a lot of times in that kind of situation or in a situation where a deer just kind of slips past you, you you know, you, you feel like, especially when you're in a, in a tree stand position where you can see pretty good, you feel like you kind of know everything that's going on, but you don't. And I think, like, as just dumb humans, our eyes guide us so much that we're looking around, like, well, there's nothing here. Or that deer left, and that deer's just standing right over there. I mean, that's where they live. They're not, that most of the time they don't go that far. Even when they bust and run, they may not run that far. Yeah. And it's just... You know, it's it's crazy, and I've seen them do exactly what you're talking about, and it's like they have nowhere else to be. They have nowhere else to go, and literally their life depends on every decision they make because everything's trying to eat them, you know, including Corey. And so <laughs> Corey's got <laughs> stock in deer for this year. <laughs> and, I mean, I've, I've literally, you know, had that situation where I could see, and that's that's one of the coolest things about, one of the, the coolest things that I like about hunting is when you get to, when you do, and it doesn't happen often because somehow or another, even though you get in great vantage points, and you know we try to set ourselves up whether we're mobile hunting or or the stand set stands, you know try to set yourself up where you can see and you got the advantage, and even when you're in that 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 spot, it often doesn't happen. But every now and then, when you're able to really see a deer behave and learn something from it, where you you are able to really see and i've had that happen where a deer stand i stand there for like 30 minutes and doesn't move like its ear turns when it hears something it's like i mean like a statue for and and it's not even it's not even spooked it's just cautious you know and so that's that's 
that's um it's almost that's like some the of the coolest I, experience here i shot it was across the clearing we saw it and we thought it was totally just gonna go behind the tree come out the other ranged it at 50 yards i was i was bucked down ready to take that 50 yard shot and he got lost 20, 30 minutes with a doe back there, and so I'm pretty sure I know what he was doing back there. And well, she, what, what she took off. What was he doing? Can you can you give us some details? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, <laughs> it was probably it was probably the happiest and saddest day of his life. Yeah, yeah. he died happy though. Yeah. We'll, we'll just say that. Yeah. But uh, his name lives on. Yes, yeah. yes. And, uh, the, tall know, the tall G two buck. The tall G two one out for Junior. the tall G two. He, yeah. he put a couple of them C's up in there. Somebody's gonna come out with another tall G two. Tall, tall, we're gonna call TGTJ, Tall G2 Junior. Junior. <laughs> I, uh, we, if we get a picture of him next year, I'll let you know. <laughs> Junior, Junior's running around. He's got yeah, one really one, tall spike. Yeah, one, little <laughs> button, but, <laughs> spike. one little bump, one little tall. Yeah. Oh, well, funny. you know, we t- like, so uh, Josh, this is your second experience with it, but you know, uh, Corey talked about mobile hunting, and we do mobile hunt a lot. This is your first experience with mobile hunting. So I'm curious, like, that is, I think that's a side of whitetail hunting that kind of the uh, stereotypical, that people don't realize how much work that is. Oh, it's so what was your what was your take on on doing a mobile like actually going in hanging hunting and then and, and lucky for you you did it once and were successful so well that's how good he is yeah <laughs> hey you gotta yeah, we're not gonna get Colin any, arrows are expensive okay? <laughs> we're not gonna give Colin any credit for <laughs> yeah, any of that right. <laughs> no Colin was a huge huge help and I think the way you guys have it set up too like knowing where to go um, what the winds are doing and you know where not to be is a huge huge play of not scaring them off and just letting them do what they're they're going to do and not bug them. Even though you know it's a good spot, the wind's blowing yeah, the wrong way, no like way. don't go over yeah. there. But, um, you know, I never knew how much work it was. I I literally thought that these guys go put up tree stands and that's just like the spot they hunt all, all, so, and some all people hunting do. season yeah, long. Some people yeah, do. some people and do. They don't kill that's spot. Very yeah. few at least. Yep. And then, you know, with you guys that had your backpacks and these yeah. mobile tree stands. Yeah. and Unless you, Josh, you know, Josh had a backpack. For two days with nothing, nothing stuff in it, in it but he didn't use it. Like, why <laughs> you taking his backpack <laughs> with a bow holder that didn't work, but his backpack had a strap? Just in case. Listen, you guys have no clue what you're talking about. This mobile hunting is not hard. You walk out to a tree, you sit there at the base, and you watch the other person set it up all for you. You climb to the top. If you're lucky, you get a 15 minute nap in, and then, hey, there's a deer behind you. Oh, okay. I, not hard. Come on. <laughs> what Josh has actually done for the last two years is what we call fully guided mobile hunting. Tag along. Josh stands at the bottom of the tree, cleans his fingernails, and checks to make sure all of his clothes are right, and reads through his emails, and every now and then he glances up to see if you're ready for him to climb up. And He's like an Oster rep. He's just making sure you're safe. Yeah. <laughs> making sure you don't fall. You know, and having met Colin for the first time, I literally put my life in his hands as he set up my tree stand. Worked <laughs> <It> out. <laughs> hey, I didn't think anything of it until those forty mile an hour gusts came and that whole tree was swaying. I had to look back, being like, "Are you sure this tree is uh, this safe?" Because the two days be- or the night before, we heard a tree fall out. <laughs> out so, uh, Corey, oh, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I've got the I've got the new point seven five 
Lone Wolf custom gear with the mesh seat. Always bragging. They talk about the new stuff. Yeah, it's 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 the <laughs> best. We're gonna brag. Are we going to Broadhead? Yeah, no, I got fans. We, on. we can go to Broadhead. We go to Broadhead. We don't want to do that. It's um, but I got the new. But anyway, I got to support yeah, this story. Don't anyway, us. So I got. I, I was it cost? I've been wanting this setup. <laughs> I've been wanting this setup because I think it's the best mobile lock-on system out there, and I've I've been it's uh, it's not cheap, so it's taken me a while. I finally got it. I'm getting around to the story, okay? You want to start? It's with just his, all about mobile hunting. What he could so afford first. I decided the other day I was at home, and I had just gotten my my new setup and got it all you know modded out, everything I wanted to do to it. It's like I gotta go make a hunt with this new setup, you know. And I was like, uh, check the wind for behind my house, my property. And I was like, I know exactly where I'm going. I know the exact tree I'm going. This is going to be a good first time on my new setup, a good easy tree. Okay. And this tree is about telephone pole big, no limbs. And it's in a, for the wind and the spot I was hunting, it is a perfect tree. And I'm pretty sure I've climbed it before. But I go in there one afternoon and my son goes to his stand on the other side of the property. I go in there, not just... You know, I know what I'm doing. I ain't even looking up nothing. I go straight to the tree and I start climbing. So this tree is, it's it's a substantial tree. I mean, it's not a little bitty tree. It's telephone pole or maybe a little bit bigger in diameter. So I get the first stick and I go up and I get to on the second stick. Now, on the second stick, I'm only, what, seven, eight feet, ten feet, maybe. You're kind of short. You might be five and a half. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe six. I don't know. I got eighters on my sticks, Corey. Oh, I got okay. eighters on my sticks. I'll give you six and a half. <laughs> so, it, it, point being, I'm not that high, and I get on that second stick, and I got my lima's belt, and I'm kind of getting ready to get my third stick prepped, and the, the tree is swaying, and the wind ain't blowing. Mm. And I'm like, it's kind of weird. So, I get on up on the top of the stick, the, it, like, I recognized it in my mind, but I didn't do anything about it. I was just like, hmm, it's weird. I got up on the top of the second stick, and I hung the third stick. And when I put my foot in the aider on that third stick, now I'm, you know, I'm up a little bit higher. And I pushed down and got up on that third stick, and the thing did, like, it really swayed. And I'm like, this tree's way too big. I look up, and that tree is dead. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's dead, dead. And I'm like. The top of it is only about 15 more feet. It, did, it was one of those trees where it's kind of bottomland swampy, so it had a lot of green fungus and moss growing on it, so the bark still looked alive. It didn't look dead from the... Yeah, you're not looking at it. And up. now I'm like 15 feet up there, and this thing is, I'm just going, it's fisting the crack. Huh. It's fisting the crack. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this, like, I mean, you, could, you couldn't have slid a pin needle up my butthole. <laughs> tight i was like slowly back down shaking like booty meat <laughs> slowly back down so when you are mobile hunting you have to pay attention and me and brian had this situation this afternoon we get up in the tree mm -hmm. it appears to be the perfect tree until we get up there and realize it's got a lean in it that we didn't really notice and that was kind of funky and so we're sitting there and i'm like we need to be in that tree brian's like yeah yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. Too. I was like, yeah. Was that yeah. in between that? Yes. We, we do need to be in that tree. We need to be in that tree. Yeah, the and one. then I, I'm looking at that tree for a little while, and I'm like, Brian, we can't get in that tree. And he's like, why? Well, I was like, look at the top of it. Yeah. <laughs> that tree was there. There was no top of it. it was just, it was Brian, both of y'all up there, y'all was definitely going down. As soon as Brian stepped in that stand, <laughs> I'd have been sleeping. I'd have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. how they found out the first tree was bad, right? You're just waking up from your power naps from being up all night. 
So one of the things that's cool about here for me, this property has a really good substantial creek system running through it. And parts of that creek system, like where Corey killed his deer, is a is a canyon. But there's other parts, the tributaries that go into that big creek system, they're rocky and they're real clean. And what it's created, and Josh and I did it yesterday, and Brian and I did it this afternoon, is you can drop off in these creeks, and the banks are high enough, I feel like you can get all the way up some of these draws and just you pick on your map, you know, there's a there's a saddle right here or there's a ridge playing out right here and this is where I feel like I need to be. You can you can easily slip down them creeks and just pop up right where you want to be. And I, I kinda I I hadn't been doing that until this week. I was trying to I'm trying to kill Josh a deer, you know, you know, I'm trying to do my guide work and <laughs> trying to pull out every stop and I'm like, Josh, we gotta drop off in this creek. We gotta get up here about hundred and fifty yards or whatever. We and Josh and I did it uh, yesterday, and it—I mean—I feel like we were almost in the right spot. We had deer come by us. I felt like we could have been in a better spot. So the wind shifted, and we came down the same creek system, but from the other way because of the change in the wind. And we actually did get kind of more over there where we were seeing the deer yesterday, and uh, we didn't see any deer. So we heard one though. We did hear. Well, I guess I did see that deer for like a second yeah. as it ran away yep. from us. That's another thing with mobile hunting, though. Like if you can use creek systems or anything that's gonna keep you undetected, that's gonna. It's like people take side by sides or even e-bikes. You're using e-bikes, and I'm big on using e-bike. But if you don't have an e-bike, you can find a creek system. If, especially when the water's in, you got the mud boots and just walk down the water and keep your sitting everything in that water. Your thermal mm-hmm. stay low. Like when that wind blow and you got the the walls over you just sit don't get out like you yeah. can travel through that and they'll be right on top of the hill just walk right past them like how often do you see people in videos with kayaks they're going down mm-hmm. and the deer looking at them as they travel and they see they them don't know they what they are pressure. yeah it's like what the hell is this flow i'll tell you one and they get out and go pop on a tree and kill that same buck it's just it didn't register like yeah that's you, a threat if you've got a sorry i didn't mean to cut well i did mean to i guess but i didn't mean so to i felt rude. bad after i did it i guess <laughs> but uh, if you've got like a good creek with Such like a, a with some water in it <laughs> one of the one of the one of the best tactics that i use all the time is just getting all the way in the water you just get a straw and then you just you breathe under water through the straw <laughs> yeah and you just you just you didn't just watch too many army combat until you want to go. I, I think so because they, they don't see it. They don't most of the creeks I see and yeah. stuff, you don't want to get in that water. First of all, I don't think your big ass is floating anywhere. You <laughs> no, in the bottom, like, so. I gotta get a long. You gotta get a water hose. Yeah, right. <laughs> a water hose on a bobber so to stay up. You see, like this, what we've been doing the last two days, which I, I wish I had done it more when the rut was a little bit more active because i feel like a lot of these corridors that we're that we're trying to get to would be better in the middle of november when the deer are cruising you know as opposed to whatever stage they're in now but like back home we really can't do that so much because most of those ditches and stuff back home first of all they're full of water moccasins Mm -hmm. that's the first problem don't you love snakes though Mm -hmm. leeches that's what i heard (laughs) but they're also just just they're just a tangled mess of deadfall and mud and yeah. just you know these are like hard rock yeah. gravel and they're clean i mean it's like walking down a nature trail and you just slip all the way down through there so that's been that's been like as far as like the kind of as we kind of put a wrap on the season here of, of the first year you know if if we do this again next year and on this property 
Like that's something I've learned definitely is use those creek bottoms to get around because I hadn't been doing that. And I've, you know, I, I sometimes I wonder, I have like, so me and Colin were joking after you killed your deer last night. To be honest with you, this is the worst, best property I've ever hunted. <laughs> it's the worst, best property I've ever hunted because we, I swear, I feel like we've seen more nice rack bucks from a stand than we have does. In the, mm-hmm. Like, we don't see a ton of deer. Now, there, I think the deer density number in the area is pretty good. Just based on trail camera survey, I think that the, 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 the deer numbers are, are fairly good. But we don't see a ton of deer. Like, it's just not a place where you go sit and see 10, 12 deer. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see two or three deer on average in a hunt. It, and and um, But we've had a ton of nice bucks, and some of those being, you know, real mature age class bucks and a lot of young deer that are going to be good up and comers and 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 so that's what like when you sit like there's been a lot of hunts a lot of time spent up here where me and colin are just like we're so over it Mm -hmm. because we're just putting in hours and hours it's like we can't see a deer like we they're all over trail camera and we can't find one we can't figure it out and every time we came during the rut it seemed like we didn't hit the weather right and the weather when it comes to whitetail hunting if if you ain't figured this out and you hadn't figured this out, the new whitetail hunters on the group, the weather is everything. You know, you can find ways to kill deer in all kind of different situations, but the weather, in my opinion, is the biggest factor in a deer's behavior. You know, as far as you can you can do like we talked about with the thermals. You know, you can get away with so many things with hillsides and stuff with those rise and thermals with scent. But you got to have cold weather to have that. You got to have really cold sunrise that warms up when the sun's and makes those thermals rise and 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 things like that. And but you got to have cold. And every time we came up here, it's like seventy eight degrees and the wind's blowing out of the south, and it's like the deer activity is just, you know. And so it's been tough. But at the end of the day, we've had you know tomorrow's our last day on this trip and probably our last day for the season. And we've had six opportunities. The deer that I shot at was big. And if y'all, I think it was episode nine of the blueprint. It's on there. That is a deer that we didn't have pictures of. He just showed up that morning. The deer my dad shot, big. We had a ton of pictures of him. I knew he was going to shoot that deer. Like, I mean, I just knew it. (laughs) I was like, if you just sit in this area for three days, you're going to shoot this deer. Like, he's just on camera too much for you not to eventually get a shot at him and he did finally and uh you know so all in all considering the fact that our property is 1100 acres total and it's it's uh it's really divided in half and we call it the north and south half because really about the middle of the property that big creek system really kind of divides it it's it's a pretty clean divide and it's so diverse the whole front side of the property um and Josh has gotten to see this more than you guys because he's been on both sides. But the front side of the property is kind of typical Midwest feel. You know, CRP and woods, uh, hardwood timber and, uh, you know, fence rows and stuff like that. On the south side, there's a big pasture. But after that, it is nothing but rocky, steep, hilly, blackjack oak timber that you can just get lost in with a big creek system running through it. You know, so it's a really cool property in that regard. It's hard to access some of that back there just because it's so far and it's rough terrain. And, 
if you drive back there on ATV, you're going to blow everything out that you're trying to go hunt anyway. Now you guys just witnessed whitetail hunters being pansies. You guys well, are climbing mountains for elk. I was going to say, that, like, that, that sounds like, like my hunting territory <laughs> back there. Yeah, right. Boots like, to the ground, let's go hiking. <laughs> It's like a yeah, hunt. but so the difference, but there's I'm a difference joking. here. No, I know you're joking, but there's a difference here. Like, but let if me, you were going back there to spend the day where you could legitimately spot and stalk the deer, that's one thing. But if you're hiking back there with a tree stand on your back to hunt the way we're hunting, it's totally that's totally different. You know, it, you you're not gonna. I'm, I can tell you, that. There would have to be a lot of very specific things go your way for you to kill a, a decent buck from the ground with a bow and arrow the way that you are able to call in elk and stalk up on mule deer in open country. You get back there in them woods. Now, you might find one out in that CRP or something like that, bedded down with a doe or something, but you get back there in them woods, they know you're there before you know they're there. There's oh, just absolutely. no, I mean, it just you're not going to kill deer that way. You know, so it's a whole different in that regard. How's the quality of deer back there, though? Have you guys put any cameras back there oh, just yeah. to see what's back there? Well, there's some big deer. I mean, it's, they're the, it's some of the same deer. I mean, the deer that uh, that Josh saw this afternoon, like I said, we first started taking pictures of him back there. Um, several deer that we've uh, had on camera in the front, we've had on the back. I mean, they, they both go. So it's the same deer, really. With that being said, we've had some cameras running back there throughout the year, even though we haven't hunted much. And there's there's been a few really big deer on camera back there. Um, but I don't think there's a dividing line, so to speak. I mean, I think it's about the same. I mean, so. all the deer, though. yeah, all the deer we've been seeing though that you've been showing us on camera and everything, been really good deer. Like, how many trips have you guys made up here? <sighs> For hunting, not, way not, too not, many. Not 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 for not for not for setting the property up and working on the property, but just coming up to hunt. This is the eighth and in two months and four four dead deer and and two that should have been and two that should be. You, if you if somebody's killing a deer six out of eight trips. You know, or, or uh, an opportunity. I just told you, it's the worst, yeah, best property I've ever hunted. <laughs> what you're saying makes perfect sense, yeah. Well, here's the thing, the other thing that we talked about. We're joking about that a little bit. I mean, there's some reasons behind why we say that, but we're learning the place. Mm-hmm. That's just the truth of it. Like, it's my experience as a whitetail hunter. The places that I have to, that I've been hunting my whole life, I can almost tell you just based off the weather forecast and – an hour i can spend an hour on these these places early in the season and then i can watch the weather forecast and i can almost tell you when what day and how i'm gonna kill a deer on that property because i know them so well like because i've hunted them i've watched deer behavior on them since i was old enough to hunt you know and you know there's like with white-tailed deer they are they generationally they learn from their mothers they're very much creatures of habit. Now, there are times in the year like the rut where they get real unpredictable. And sometimes the habit of a specific deer that you're following around, if you're managing a piece of property, and Corey, I don't know, maybe you have some deer like this. Some, some deer, they're all different. Some deer go all over the place, and some deer stay in one spot. They all have their all own personalities, for sure. Yeah, they're, and some deer are very aggressive deer. Some deer are very kind of mild-tempered deer like i'll give you a good example the first deer we killed on this property 
we did the. Go, go ahead and say what you're fixed to say. <laughs> I was just. As, as, I know, but as you're, you're about to explode, I, no, I really was. Brian's was over blown, here just itching was, to say something. It was blowing my mind because you're like, you got these really aggressive deer, and I'm like, and you got these really <laughs> chill deer, and I'm like, Colin. And then you're like, you know, you got ones that want to go all over the place. Like, that's me. Ones that want to just stay in one place. That's my wife. Like, I just say all this stuff. I was like, oh, I know but all these dudes. I mean, it really, I've heard other people talk about this kind of stuff on podcasts. Yeah. I really agree with it. I really do. And I, I, I don't know. It's just the, the, what, uh, the story I was going to tell you. That, so the, we did the big giveaway for Scree. You know, we, we ran a big a deal and we gave a hunt away. We gave away a bow, uh, a mobile hunting kit from cruiser saddle and sticks and all that stuff and um and and all scree gear and some other prizes but we did a we did a, a hunt i guess you call it a guided hunt it was really just more like this i mean the dude was really cool dylan um he you know was a big whitetail hunter already so that made me and colin's job a lot easier because <laughs> he he already no kind of yeah, he's killed bigger deer than we have so you know <laughs> but um the the point is so there was this one deer that we we started taking pictures of in the summer and he was an old deer and he was a seven point he was about the size of your deer except he only had two on one side he didn't have a g3 and there was something about that deer and i kept telling i kept telling colin like i tried to put my son on him in october he really wanted to shoot him and i and i kept that deer's like a bully because he was early in the year when they were in bachelor groups up there in that that north cedar area is where he was and there were two different bachelor groups of bucks there was one bachelor group that had several really nice deer in it and a a smaller younger deer and then there was another bachelor group that had several young deer and one big deer and they were you, you i mean they were always together and then this seven point was always by himself he was never with another deer not one other deer of any kind he was always by himself and I was like, something about this deer, just he, anytime he's around, there's no other deer around, What you know. So we go on that hunt, and this is October the, I think it was October 21st was the first day of the hunt. So this was like two or three days into the hunt. So it's not really, for this part of the country, not really into pre-ruts so much. Maybe a little bit you know maybe but we weren't seeing scrapes and stuff and deer were still on camera together bucks were on camera together well we had a day where it rained all night and all morning and it stopped raining at like one or two o'clock in the afternoon and we're like we got to get in the woods you know weather change he goes and gets in the woods on like october the 23rd or 24th or something like that and uh he just decides to rattle and i wouldn't have done that at that time i just felt like it was too early in the year and he's, he starts rattling, and this deer just comes charging in, just tearing trees up. Just, you know, awesome footage is, you know, on the Blueprint series. You can watch the hunt. But, I mean, to me, that told me exactly what I need. Like, that deer wasn't going to tolerate. I mean, he was the bully of that North Cedar thicket. Like, you know, and I don't think that deer was really, I mean, we, you know, we got the deer out of the woods. He wasn't, like, all rutted up, stinking, and hawks and all that. I mean, he was just... I think he was just a bully, you know, and he just was, I was like, you ain't fighting up in my yard, you know. <laughs> like, you want it in. He's like the old grumpy man on his front porch yelling at the kids going down the sidewalk on the motor scooters and stuff. Stupid man. So it's it's just a cool, that, you know, just kind of a, um, kind of some of the cool points about managing a property 
for the year and kind of what we've learned and like going back to what we're originally saying on that was we're just learning the property and i i really feel like especially on a hunt like this one where a few things have gone right and you guys have been successful and then you know we're learning and hunting a, a few new spots and some of that's just because it's kind of our last hunt so we're pushing in a little deeper than we have been and i'm like man i wish i could turn the clock back about a month because i think i could probably figure it out i think i yeah. could probably you know get a little closer because i was i was i've been being very conservative like don't want to blow the deer out of these areas so i've been you know kind of staying on the edges a little bit more and learning a little bit more about things this this hunt so that's been some of the kind of the cool cool parts of this whole thing also like a downfall too is like well, I love trail cameras. I use them, like, definitely the mobile cell cams. I got, like, 30 mole trees all over New Jersey, Indiana, and Kentucky. But, like, when you own a property, like you said, you're kind of being conservative. But another thing is when you see the pictures you have, like, all that deer is in that area, you hunt that same area over and over and over. As for, like, if you go to a place blind like I did, I didn't know exactly the potential. And I saw that one buck, and I just kept moving. I wasn't going to stay in this one tree. I'm going to move different. And if I didn't see it, I would have moved somewhere else. But as for you, you know what's here because the camera, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to go back over to the other side. I'm going to go to the creek side. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to this plot where he was on camera. And you chasing it. But like you said, in that thick area, like I said, you'd be surprised. You could probably go deeper in there and mess around and walk up on a 200-inch bush that's been chilling in a spot nobody can get to. So he's chilling. Like, I'm just going to yeah. stay here. Nobody can get to me. There's no cameras that never seen me. I'm incognito. I don't even exist because you well, you know, it's back. funny. That, it's funny. That I I do believe in most places, and this is one of them. I believe there's probably a few deer, maybe really big deer that we've never taken. We don't know they're here, but they're here. They're around. And and the proof is, I have two different trail cam pictures. One in the back in the hardwoods, and one in the front in the in the North Cedar thicket in September. And both of them are really big deer, and I got one picture. I think we had this conversation earlier. They were walking behind the cameras. And And so either they're not, like to Corey's point, they're bedded up in a place where they feel completely comfortable and nobody's bothering them, or they're just smart enough they don't get their picture taken. You know, because like I said, I know for a fact I got pictures of two different deer that are really old and really big, and we got one picture of each one of those deer in September, and they ain't seen them since. And they saw that flash or whatever it is, and they know, like, ah. I ain't going back to this camera. Like I said, I've killed, I got an episode on my channel where I killed my buck in Saskatchewan. And the guy was like, I'm going to put you in this spot. It's the only win that's, that'll work today. But the buck I want you to get, I've never seen him in daylight. Not once. Ever since I've been managing this problem, never seen him in daylight. Only at night. I'm going to put you there. There's a chance he might come out. And I shot him that morning, first buck in there. But he never came in front of the camera. Like I said, he oh, was, yeah. he came in. The camera was... So he sees the camera, he would come into the chair, stop, feed here, walk around the camera, come back to feed us out. I had a scraper on the other end, go back around, work his scrape, went to the trees, and he never, even after I shot him, when he jumped and took off, he went around the camera and took off. He never went through the camera. Well, I don't know if you, you like, I don't know if you've experienced this, Brian, because I mean, I know both of y'all run a lot of cameras and stuff too, but I have, and, and trail camera technology's come a long way, and they get better and better all the time, but over the years, I've sat in a deer, in a deer stand and watched deer walk around in front of a camera and then check the camera, and the camera's taking pictures. Like, if you hadn't seen what I saw, 
you would think nothing past that camera that day, but you would think that the camera was working because it's taking 50 pictures a day. You think it's getting everything, but I have watched deer walk around in front of a camera and it, no, no, pi no pictures. And I know I watched more than one deer walk right feed in front of the camera. It didn't take the picture, but then you pull the card and you check the camera and it's like, well, the camera's taking so many pictures. You think it's catching everything. Surely this is fine. You know, is that like just sitting like in, in, in uh, Mississippi at our, our property, you go sit in the stand. There's a, a food plot there and um, the camera is sitting here and they feed over here on the food plot and they feed down the way They go feed in some brows and the cutovers and stuff like that. Like, they're there. You'd see them from the stand, but if you only looked at your camera every day, you only see the ones that walk right in front of it, you know. And so, like, I don't, I don't like if I if I I'm seeing a mature buck on camera in there consistently. Obviously, he's in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to say, oh, there's nothing on camera over there. I'm not going to hunt that. I'll go hunt it because I'll see something. I just see all kinds of stuff that yeah. you didn't see on camera. So, and that's where the boots on the ground come for. Like I said, you use the camera as a tool, right. not. You can't hunt the camera. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, that big buck was on the camera. Yeah. And I go there and I'll never see him again. Yeah. Again, okay, he might have been there, but he might have embedded somewhere yeah. because you haven't put the ground scout in. I got a buddy that calls, oh, I'll get on camera every time I leave. Like, bro, it's because he's, he's seeing you come yeah. in for a reason. Every time you leave, he comes out. Like, no, it's the perfect win. Like, the win you think is perfect is going yeah. in your face. Sometimes it don't always have to be in your face if he's not bedding there. That's because they don't put the boots on the ground. They don't go out and find the bed. They don't find the rubs. They don't find yeah. the rub line. The rub line will tell you where he's going. And if it's consistent with scrapes, that's where he's, that's his home is that way. So you got to make sure the wind isn't blowing that way. It doesn't have to be in your face. But a lot of people depend on the camera. My camera showed him. He's got to be there. He is there. He's looking dead at you. Yeah. And the moment you got a tree, going to come feed on your pile of corn and keep on moving. Like I, I've been, I've been kind of going through the process here the last year or so of kind of teaching my son I mean he, he'll be 15 in a couple of days and he's had a lot of success but like we're at that point where every time we go hunting he's like well what we got on camera at that stand I'm like you got to stop hunting the cameras dude like I'm running cameras so I got a kind of an idea of what deer are in the area and you know it's always like well I don't know I don't know if we hadn't got any pictures on that camera lately I don't know if I'm gonna go hunt that I'm like bro you can't hunt the cameras like you know, they're, I mean, they're just a reference of what's around there. And then, doesn't and mean then, you have you to know, go sit on that. Camera. And that's and I, I like I want to make that point clear. Like with this, you know, we're talking about managing this property and all, and we have a lot of cameras running on the property, and um, we do that because we want to know. We want it to give us some idea of what's going on, but it's not. Um, I mean, your deer's proof positive. If we tried to hunt your deer by camera. We would have been on the opposite be, side of the property. It'd be like it'd be like playing darts blindfolded. I mean, uh, I mean, he's you've been chasing him everywhere, different all the time, you know. And so, you know, the cameras will tell you uh, if if you reference your camera data back to the weather. You know, did I have more movement on this wind or in these weather conditions? Did the camera show more deer activity? Or for us, a big thing when we uh, like a lot of times what we do with this whole thing here is uh we'll come up here and we'll get up here in the evening or we'll take the first morning and we'll go pull our cameras and look at them because we kind of want to know if they'll tell us anything about because again first year on the property we don't really know when the rut when to expect the rut to really go you know and so we want to see you know we're doing the ground scout and we're looking at the scrapes but we also want the cameras like oh, we got bucks following does on camera it just kind of tells us kind of what what stage the deer are in 
just even even like my first elk hunt was a couple of years ago and just you know between the morning and the afternoon hunt there's so much change and so drastic you know we'd be hunting them on one ridge one right. in the morning and three ridges over in the afternoon you're like holy crap man yeah. like they just booked it out of here and yeah. you know they just if you look at elk they they're not running across the ridges they just mosey along oh, and yeah. eat on the way they like stop at mcdonald's yeah. and pick up their to-go yeah. and just keep going so the uh the other thing like for like cameras for us like on our part so the way we've got it set up i'm i'm in a i'm in a club um it's a you know a hunting club that's like 3,500 acres or 3,300 acres and then lease 2,200 acres where I started. This is a humble, this is a humble brag. No, it's not. (laughs) Hey, you busted my chops. I I know, but I'm more sensitive than you are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, my tree stand costs more than yours. (laughs) Yeah. It costs more than the hunting property. No, but the, the point is that, uh, you you have a lot of different people on those on those those hunting properties, and you got people that are first time hunters. There are people that are more eager than other people. There, are, so the, why did you look at me like that when you said that? You're an eager beaver. The uh, <laughs> no, the uh, that's hard to believe. <laughs> no, the uh, but the like for me like there's there's a for example there was a buck last year that showed up on camera and I have a bunch of, a bunch of cameras out and I just share my password with everybody out there. There's some people that are like, didn't look at what's on my camera and, you know, and, and all of the, the stands, anybody can hunt any of the stands, but they're afraid to share, share what's on there. Cause someone's going to show up and someone's going to go jump in that stand. I'm happy for anybody to go jump in the stand and kill, kill that buck. I'll be just as happy as if, you know, I were to kill it now, not as happy as if my daughter were to kill it or something like that. But, but so I, I just share all those pictures. But the other piece of that is, as those bucks come on camera, you're able to look at them. And there was a, a, a buck last year that showed up on camera. And everyone's like, oh, look at that buck. And I'm like, well, you got to look at the body of that buck. That's, that's not like a, a fully mature buck. Like this thing's got potential to be something really, really good. So I called it off. I said, yeah, just, that's not a sh- We're not going to shoot that buck. Let it get another year. If we want to manage it and get bigger and more mature bucks over time, then you know, we got to be able to, to, to you know, not shoot the bucks that are good enough if they've got some potential. That buck showed up this year. And he probably put on 20 inches of horn. And everybody's like, oh, my God, look at this deer. I'm like, well, that's what you can get. So the cameras for yeah. me, like one of the more important things is just being able to, like, take inventory of what's there and make some decisions with everybody that's in the club so everybody's on the same page. They know what that deer is if it walks out in front of them to, to let it let it go another year and see, see if we can't manage it and get some bigger deer. On Josh, you planning on managing any deer on this hunt? Listen, can I change the subject for a moment? Yeah. You guys, can you, are you finishing this up? Nope, I'm, I'm done. You can talk about whatever I've done you a, want. I've changed the subject like six times. Well, I, just, I was just, there's just been a question just I've been wanting to ask for this whole time. Mm-hmm. As you guys talk about whitetail hunting and mm-hmm. how easy or how hard it is, it's not that hard. <laughs> then where's your deer? Well, my, <laughs> my guides won't put me on yeah, yeah. within 30 yards. <laughs> excuses, excuses. So here's a question. It's, yeah. it's for Corey. Over time. Anderson, do you feel like you could, if you're in a fight with a 400 pound black bear, do you feel, do you really feel like you could beat up a black bear? That's a good question. Inquiring minds want to know. No, yeah, I was wondering this too. And if you think you can, what techniques, fight techniques, would you use on this black bear? I don't think I can. Ground and pound. I got, I got my concealed carry. I'm a pop. (laughs) Use weapons. Okay, if okay, let's go down to 250 pound black bear. 
Oh, yeah, you got that. I'm going to drop kick his ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm running start. Yeah, straight up. <laughs> 400 pounds oh. is a little heavy. You know what I mean? I, 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 mm, is there any it. techniques you feel like you'd use against a 400-pound black bear? Play dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. That was, yeah, just, that was good. I want you to use some motivation for your next fight. Oh, you yeah. My opponent going to be a 400-pound black bear. I'm going to go in there and lay you, on the canvas. You got, <laughs> Hopefully, turn around. I'm going to jump on his neck. Like, ah! You're like one of those circus acts. Yeah. <laughs> Renegade choke, bitch. Huh. Yeah, no. I'm okay. Not no 400 pound bear. I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. Not I a cow. We can go to the towel. No, no, the cow tipping. We did. We yeah, I thought we were that. supposed to go cow tipping. Oh, we should go cow. We should do it today. There's got to be cows around here. We're on a oh, we're on ranch right now. That, that was yeah. right on the road today. We should have got out and did it. <laughs> These people are going to shoot y'all ass. You go messing with their cows. Yeah, These was in the middle of the road. They was trust. I'm just trespassing. It's but it was blocking off traffic. Well, like the whole farm. I know. In the middle of the road. They do it all the time. You need fainting. free range. That's free need, range beef. You need the oh, fainting yeah? goats. <laughs> yeah. You need what? Fainting goats. You don't even have to like tip them. You so just, you know, like one of the best things you can have is if you have a screaming goat and a fainting goat in the same. Oh, yeah, yard, a every time a woman screams, the other one faints. Yeah, <laughs> so some of the best good. entertainment you can ever have. <laughs> Corey, so you, I, you got a fight coming up. Nope, nope. That's why I'm out here. That's why you're out here. Just hunting my ass off, my butt off. Until we're just gonna, fight. Yep. we're cool. gonna fill his non-fighting time with hunting, time. hunting, killing yeah, stuff. That's it. Just filling content for the outdoors overtime. Huh. How many deer? Not not dressed out yet. How many deer do you think you could pack out on your back? How many woods and a woodchuck, chuck and a woodchuck could chuck wood? Uh, we're gonna say about depends on what age class and size. Oh, 20 fonts. <laughs> 20 fonts. Is, yeah. that, is that your number? No, no, that's his number. That's my guess for his number. <laughs> if I got two, or, let me see, I go about two big old Iowa mature bucks. I can get two of them. You can put one on each shoulder? No, nah, I'm just going to stack them on top of each other like hamburger patties. Like, like Midwest bucks? <laughs> or like that, Iowa's, baby, them big old Iowa bucks. <laughs> the equivalent to a double-double at In-N-Out, huh? Yeah. Okay, how far am I packing now? Let's say three, four hundred yards. Oh yeah, I get two of them. I I embrace the suck for two hundred yards. <laughs> I might lose suck. a kneecap or two, but mm-hmm. shaking. <laughs> 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 but I ain't no pump. My mama ain't raised no pump. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> get there, get him up here. <laughs> hey, question back to Josh though: How many can you carry? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm guessing maybe one fawn. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could. How much weight can he fawn. put on his e-bike? Can he put on his quiet yeah. cavity? So there what you, you do is you you it, it, you gut them, so you open the cavity, and you just sit them on the bike, and then you sit on the deer. Oh, yeah. It's like you got a leather seat. Yeah. Well, well I've, seat? I've also been told, and I don't know how true it is, but they said you can cut the tendons behind the back legs, tuck the front ones in it, and wear it like a backpack. Yeah, I got a, I have a video. I mean, I don't, I've don't. i seen people do it. I have it, a I video don't. of me doing it with a doe in Natchez, Mississippi, out of one of the freaking bottoms, and freaking Trey's behind me videotaping, and my shirt is pulled up, 
And all it is is deer blood dripping down my ass crack the entire time (laughs) I'm walking up there. It was the grossest thing ever. I got back and I was like, what is this? I'm like, oh my God, I have blood in my ass. My first rifle buck, I cam handed out of the field in Texas. I shot at like 350 yards of rifle. And went out there, didn't get anything, just... Got down and put it up on it and walked back to the truck. And when I got back, it was blood just from the bullet hole, just pouring all down my chest and the back of my shirt. I was like, ah. And don't worry, we got to wash it. I've done that. I've done that. All right. And I have one more question for everybody. Mm. And we'll start with Josh. What has been your favorite piece of scree gear this trip and why? He's trying to throw scree gear into this. It is a Scree podcast. It is a Scree podcast. <laughs> is it paid for by Scree? Uh, yeah, technically it is. <laughs> my, my favorite piece? Just one that you may or may not use so much on the West. Like, I've learned a lot, you know, uh, hunting the West a lot and not not knowing, you mm-hmm. know, what temperature do we put on the down, uh, down jacket and down pants and stuff. And I got to experience that firsthand you know this trip and it makes my knowledge much more better for all the customers you know calling yeah, in and customer service rep i think that's a good question that's yeah. a great question you trying to get a raise yeah. uh, you know <laughs> i'm just doing my job you know i want to be better my, and, and my, be able to help everybody better my very favorite piece uh and by the way we're watching a football game at the moment and, and steve and i are in a fantasy football league, and we're neck and neck right now. So I haven't checked the score. Just like the Niner game last night, I'm just don't want to no over. We have the same amount of points, oh. so this is important for us. Because the loser, tell them what the loser has to do. <sighs> the loser of our league, which thankfully will not be me nor Josh, has to run a 5K with an I Love Joe Biden shirt down in St. George, Utah at the end of <laughs> fantasy football. Hold on, I'm on the same league, and nobody told me about that. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, I love it. And that sucks. That's awesome. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm, I'm not running a 5K, nor am I wearing a Joe Biden t-shirt. Well, you are tied for one of the worst records so far. So. Well, nobody, I, it's in the contract. It was in the fine print. You didn't read the fine print. My my very favorite piece, I'm a, I am love Marina Wool. I I'll wear it most of the time outdoors unless mm-hmm. it's over well even if it's hot outside 70 plus I still wear that short sleeve merino wool. Um but I love the Kaibab 300 merino wool hoodie. It's my favorite piece. It's uh it is I'll, nice and toasty. Uh, well, I'll wear I wear it at the office, I'll wear it outside, I wear it as a base layer, I wear it as an outer layer. It's by far my favorite piece. So I have recently um, I mean, I guess I haven't learned this so much on this trip because, you know, we do this all the time, but the, we, we created the ptarmigan vest and for mobile hunting, it's, it's the best thing we've done for mobile hunting because the ptarmigan jacket, if it's, it is great, it's packable, it's easy to carry with you and it's extremely warm, but it's not overbearing. Like you can wear it when it's not, you know, you can go in in a t-shirt and just take your ptarmigan and when it cools off, put it on. It's not like a parka that's just, but um, for mobile hunting, much like Western hunting, every ounce kind of matters. Every inch matters as far as your pack weight and and bulk and all that kind of stuff. And the ptarmigan vest, it packs down smaller obviously because it doesn't have a hood and it doesn't have the arms 
and so it's lighter and it's smaller and for in the saddle specifically you know one of the problems when you're wearing a saddle when you hunt you know it comes up high to the waist so once you're up there and set not that you can't do it but it's a little bit of a process to layer clothes after you've gotten up there because there's tension on all that and it's tight you can't necessarily tuck a jacket so much into there you can't get to your hip pockets and stuff and so i found the vest to be an extremely useful piece this year i'm really glad we came out with it because it's kind of the perfect um in between because like i said i love the ptarmigan i've been using the ptarmigan forever but it's specifically and especially with the saddle that vest once i get sat and cool off because i mean you're gonna you're gonna get some you know when you're mobile hunting one of the thing, good things about mobile hunting is you don't often have to dress quite as cold because you do a lot of moving and you you build up right. a lot of of body heat anyway so um i can usually dress a little lighter which is nice because you need to be able to but that vest i can put it on and i don't really have to tuck it in the saddle it gives me the kind of the uh, core pockets where i can keep my hands and that's been my favorite piece Brian, yeah, we're going clockwise, counterclockwise. Thank you for your guys' answers too. Yeah. I know I threw you guys under no, the bus no, with this one. So the, I, I wear the ptarmigan jacket a bunch, like, but like if I had to pick like just a, a favorite overall piece, because like there's a lot of a lot of the stuff you can wear, like not just hunting, especially with like the solids and stuff that are coming out. And I wear it every day. I wear it to work. I wear it, like uh, the the hard or the uh, yeah the hard not the hard scrabble the uh, grid grid light, light, grid light grid jacket. Light. The grid light jacket is uh, it's just a good looking jacket that I can wear. It doesn't even look like a piece of hunting clothing, like the, in the solids. You know, whenever you wear it out, you don't want people to know you're a hunter. No, no, no. Are you in one of those states? Pete will show up. I know. I know. My dad is. Yeah. He's like he, he has to carry two outfits. He's out in the Louisiana. Door. Everybody yeah. in the state. Huh? Yeah. I, was, I was gonna say. Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, no, nothing is safe in Louisiana. But yeah, that's that's probably like it. There's overall the the grid light jacket's probably like my favorite piece. But as far as like in the hunting stand, I think I get more use out of that that ptarmigan because I mean anything if it's you know forty degrees, if it's fifty degrees, if it's fifty, I'm either wearing it as a base layer with like a hard scrabble over it and merino wool underneath it, or just wearing it by itself with a t-shirt. Like you just you can do a bunch with the ptarmigan jacket. But uh, yeah, but the coolest piece that I like is the grid light. Corey, is it them new socks? You ain't yeah. took them off since he gave them to you. I gave me two pair. And I keep them over <laughs> top of my wools, and I put these on around the house. They're comfortable. <laughs> but um, <laughs> all around, like, clothes I wear often, I'll say the hard scrabble. I like that. Like, it's it's light enough where you can wear it when it's warm, but it's also thick enough where when it gets cool, it keeps you warm. It's, like, rain-resistant, not waterproof. But So if it's not raining hard, it bounces off. But for this trip, I'll say the wool... The 300 arena wool pants and the hoodie. The hoodie. hoodie. Yeah, because that's, like yeah. I said, I didn't pack the late season, the Kodiak pants, and didn't expect it to be that cold. When I was out here a couple weeks ago, it wasn't that bad. And I just feel like every time we wake up, it was like brick cold. Like, what the? <laughs> and those marina wools definitely keeping my core and everything. Like I said, I'm mobile hunting. I'm hanging and staying every sit. And I'm climbing without sweating a lot because it's not, it's not like super heavy to where, like you're saying, 
Brian was out there today struggling with all stuff. No slime and uh, struggling. You supposed to tell people I didn't wear it. We don't mother. care about all that. But <laughs> you, you know, you're going to be sweating like a hooker in church when you do you layered in the heavy stuff. Let's just get all into it. You guys want to hear a penguin joke? Yeah, yeah. But no. We, like I said, I had that merino wool. Like I was getting warm as I was climbing, but it was never to the point where I ever had like a bead of sweat. I would get yeah. up there and still was dry. My armpits weren't dripping. Mm-hmm. And just. Hook up and I'm ready to go. Yeah, it wicks the sweat. Wicking that sweat. Yep, what cool what is yours? You're the one that brought dude, the question. I, dude, I think I had every piece I was we like, make. You brought on. everything. I was freezing. I'm from the West Coast, and 25 <laughs> degrees is not in my in my wheelhouse yeah. of vocabulary. Was it that cold here? The one morning he looked like yesterday morning. Yeah, my man looked like Santa. The one morning he, I didn't know if he had gained some weight, had some midnight snacks, and then he started taking layers off. Like, oh, he had like seven layers on. <laughs> <laughs> With it down underneath everything, like yeah, I, saw- I, 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 you know, and for me it was more. I'm in the conditions that mm-hmm. I get asked a lot of questions for. We get a lot of people yeah. that call in and go, "How comfortable am I going to be in this situation?" Well, right. first of all, as a disclaimer, let's just say everybody is built a little bit differently. So mm-hmm. every, what may work for you doesn't work for Corey, right. and what works for Corey yeah. may not work for me, vice versa. Um, but overall, I mean, that 25 degree weather, I, yeah. I had my 300 base layers. I think there's an actual little snippet on our Instagram about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, with my ptarmigans and hard scrabble mm-hmm. gear under underneath. And I was comfortable that ptarmigan, like you said, it's probably, it's versatile. Um, I don't think people understand too, when you say it's breathable. Mm-hmm. The breathability of it is more of like what Corey was talking about. He was, you know, he's being active, mobile hunting, and not sweating because he was able to expel the heat without having to overheat and stuff. Yeah, people don't understand how layering and insulation really works because I, I've said this to a, a lot of people over the years with Scree, like at shows and stuff, and talking to people about, well, how does this, what is performance layering? How does it work? So this is this is my my Mississippi louisiana country redneck like way of explaining it as a kid what what i learned going hunting in the cold was you just pile on stuff to block the heat to block the cold it's just like a you you you, we treated hunting in the cold weather like you treat a quilt you put it on to keep the cold out well what what performance layering does is the the pieces complement and like you said you've got to be able to to breathe and insulate there's got to be a, a breathability to it so that all of that can actually work and because the way we're hunting you can't just pile on bulky clothes and keep the the uh the cold out because you'll burn up and sweat and then you're going to freeze no matter what or you're not going to be able to pack that much and so it's uh it it is really I think a lot of people are conditioned they uh, you know they pick up that 300 and they're like well this feels nice but this is kind of light what's this going to do they don't realize that well yeah if you wear this and you go walk in a long ways it's going to breathe and keep you warm or, or keep you cool and and wick the sweat off of you and all that and then when you sit down and put something over the top of it it's really going to insulate you know, and they just don't like they 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 consider warmth with heavy outer blocking the cold out being you know the the way to to stay warm. Well, when you're active and mobile and moving around, you that doesn't work. It's not like sitting on the couch wrapping up in a quilt. You know. Yeah, and I think that's the 
like number one question I get or people call and go, you know, I thought that ptarmigan jacket was going to be warm. I'm like, well, did you wear it? They're like, no, it's just not as thick as everything. I was like, well, it's not meant to be thick. It's meant to. It's insane how warm that jacket oh, yeah. is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, you it's, inc- your, it's you freaking ridiculous. to your stand wearing that? Yeah. I was hunting in Iowa, and I walked in with the ptarmigan jacket on. And I, by the time I got to my stand, I was sweating. I never walked in again with it on. It was 25 degrees. Yeah, it's. It, it, it was great on the mountain. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's you're one of 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 quite a few people in my in my lifetime who I've been hunting with for the, and it was their first time to tree stand hunt and sit still, and it's vastly different. Like it, it you know, we're talking about how gear performs when you're moving around, and then the other thing that you might not even be thinking about, but this plays a huge role into it. Everybody says, don't get cold in the south. Well, it don't get cold in the south until later. But when it gets a little bit cold in the south, it's really cold because it's humid. Right. When you guys are in the mountains, it's a dry air. It's very different. When you get into other parts of the country, when you add humidity into cold, it's uh, that's that's moisture. Yeah. And, and, and that just amplifies cold, right? And so... <clears throat> In a lot of whitetail states and, and a lot of places you hunt, and it's not as bad here as it is down in the south. Like where me and, me and Brian are from, when it gets cold weather, with, if we get to 30 degrees, it's freezing cold because it's wet air. You know, it's really bad. And so sitting still, it's, I mean, like you can't sweat. Like if you sweat in the cold weather, you are going to freeze trying to sit still. Like it's just, I mean, it's just... You have to be able to have stuff that works in that regard. And so. I, I remember having this conversation with myself in my head. As uh, you know, I layered up with the ptarmigan and stuff, and we had to walk from that golf cart to the tree stand we hunted uh, yesterday morning. And I was like hemming and hawing because I was, I was on that brink of like almost overheating, and then I climbed right. up into that tree stand. But you give it an hour. And then you start feeling that cold. Yeah. I was thankful I didn't start. Well, I've hunted with I've hunted with a lot of guys who haven't tree stand hunted before, and they have their gear. I mean, this stuff's pretty warm. I'm like, well, I mean, when you're moving every hour and keeping your body heat up and stuff like that, yeah. But like, when you sit still and then the wind just blows on you, even it doesn't even have to be a hard wind, but it's just constant. You're constantly every little crack i wear a, a net gator all every time i get in a tree stand i wear a net gator because it seals off that collar line where cold air's getting in and heat's leaving out you know right and i don't ever put it on until i've sat down and cooled off and i'm you know whatever but then i put it on because like it doesn't take long and if it's if it's really windy it doesn't have to be that cold it just beats on you you know and i, I i've been in your shoes from as far as scree goes from the the show circuit side of things talking to customers at shows and they, they ask and look that's something that I, I think everybody here would have to agree with to a certain extent there's no cheat code you're a human if it's cold enough you're gonna get cold i mean that's part of hunting being outdoors out in nature and everything it's part of it i mean there's gonna be some cold if you hunt in cold weather i mean there's you, you like i said you can't just block it all out that's not logical so you have to accept some level of it. To me, like the, the ptarmigan vest, for example, and this afternoon was a really great example because Brian and I walked a pretty long ways, and then we hung a stand, and I had to monkey around with that stand for a while to get it where I could hunt out of it because of the lean in the tree when I got up there. So I was hot and sweating a little bit, and I put my grid light on, and 
and the wind was blowing decent, and it was, what, 40-something this afternoon. It was cool. I started to get cold, and I put that vest on, and that was it. Lights out. My core warmed up, and I was fine. Um, but to me, it's all about – I feel like sometimes when I answer questions with people, they're they're looking for an all-in solution, like fix it. And it's like you're not going to – if you're going to go hunting when it's 25 degrees, you're going to get a little bit cold. I mean, that's just – it's all about being comfortable enough to stay confident and able to do what you need to do to get through the hunt, whether that's draw the bow back or, you know, you know, get in and out of the stand safely, whatever it is. If you if you choose to go out in the in the whether it's on the mountain or out in the woods in a tree stand, and it's cold weather and the wind's blowing, or maybe there's some rain or moisture, you're gonna get cold. And I think people have to understand what their limits are, too. Just because you should doesn't mean – or just because you could doesn't mean you should. You know, if it's below zero degrees and it's you got a tag and you don't want to end up with tag soup and you force yourself to go out there, even though your it's body's not – It's not the gear's fault. Not not <laughs> equipped to do it, you know. It's yeah. not – the right. It's not the gear's fault that you're – I, I can tell you this. Um, that that, uh, that um, Marina Wool, the 300, the uh, KBL 300, the uh, – the ptarmigan jacket, the hard scrabble jacket, 22, 25 degrees in Iowa, snowstorm, windy, all that kind of stuff. I mean, like my core, like my, I'm not saying that I wasn't cold at all at some point, but like I was in, I mean, I hunted that way for 16 days up there just wearing those things, you know, and it was cold and I, I was comfortable in the stand constantly. I never, after the first time I walked to the stand with the ptarmigan jacket on, I never wore it. Again, to walk the stand. into the stand. I packed it away and then put it on once I got in the stand. But it's it, it's good stuff. I I uh, I like it. So, well, um, I'm glad you guys have had a good hunt. I'm glad you got to experience your first whitetail hunt successfully. Hope I get to do it more. This is fun. It, oh, yeah. it, it's uh, it is a lot of fun for guys like me and Brian that hunt all the time. We're tired, but it's fun. Um, Corey, I'm glad you were able to uh, get a deer and get your, get your, you know, like you said, like figure it out and actually get the most out of it. That's really cool. Glad to have you in camp. Enjoyed it a glad lot. Glad to be here. Thank you, guys, for having me. And, um, I, I mean, it's like I said, it's the worst, best hunting property we've ever had. So uh, we got one more day. Josh Jensen, the director of marketing here at Scree, um has yet to kill a white-tailed deer and this is the second year i've brought him hunting and i keep putting deer right in front of him and he just can't make it happen and i don't know what else we're gonna have to do you gotta put one right in front of him at the barn at the oh i (laughs) (laughs) that's a white do you have any any final thoughts before i wrap this up josh i don't appreciate it um R.I.P. Phyllis you guys can guide a little bit better tomorrow for me. You got one day left. <laughs> Weather's going to be good. We're going to get north winds tomorrow. We've had kind of west, southwest. Most of the time we've been here, we're going to get north with a little bit of northwest. Corey, I know Corey's going to – we got a lot of wild hogs on this property. I know Corey's going to try to go think, shoot a hog. I think me, me and Corey Steven. talked about it. We're going to make a little game out of it, yep, I think. Tandem hunt. I'm going to so set Corey my camera and, gear up, and we're going to take a turn. I'm, I'm just going to say right now, I hope y'all are – ultra successful and kill as many as arrows and broadheads y'all got to spare because we need to kill as many as possible they're taking the long boat i think i think i got like i got 10 that was the past two yesterday so 
we'll, well, we'll see what we can do and make it happen. I don't care. Take you, you by all means necessary. If if y'all need to run them down, let Corey jujitsu them. I don't care. Just kill them all. <laughs> We're no good checks for everybody. <laughs> well, Brian's gonna be filming me. Colin's gonna be filming Josh. We got one day left. Um, this hunt, including Corey and Steven's deer, and hopefully me and Josh might have an opportunity tomorrow. This will be on the final episode of the Blueprint. Where we'll wrap the series up. And uh, we appreciate y'all listening, and we'll talk to you again on the next episode. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.